Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you and only you are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I am Brian Barnett, the creator and host. Head on over to my website, thelastsymptom.com, for a growing list of free resources on the subject of emotional health. And while you're there, if you're so inclined, consider leaving me a donation for my overall body of work, which includes this podcast. Additionally, you have the option there of scheduling time with me as a consultant. If you feel that I might be helpful to something you're trying to understand or deal with. What a bonker seven days it's been. I started by recovering from some kind of brutal bubonic plague that uh, my daughter had passed on to me, followed by a roller coaster weekend of activity, some of it good, some of it not so good. Starting off Monday, nothing but tornadoes all over creation here in the U.S. Because I'm in Appalachia, tornadoes of any severity or duration are a really rare thing. However, on Monday night, a tornado ripped up Dayton, Ohio, and then I watched that same storm system on radar, which had come from Indiana, travel across the U.S., through a portion of West Virginia and into Pennsylvania, and it just barely missed me here. I'm talking only by about 30 miles. It eventually ended up in Philly and New York and set off tornado warnings there along the way. It was a hairy couple of days. All week, all week, it's just been more storms. I keep up to date with the weather in Philadelphia. That area has had something like three days of tornado warnings. There was a tornado touchdown in Chester County there, where I often used to work. And here, it's just been storms and humidity, day after day. It's what what we're dealing with here today, too. You know what I think about all this? I think it's a good thing I mowed the grass on Monday afternoon while I still had a chance. Even though it was about 9,000 degrees outside in the, mon- in the midday sun. You know, when you grow up experiencing brutally humid summers like I did in Appalachia, you don't really pay attention to it. I remember it not bothering me at all. I did carpentry and building work in the summers, working right out there in the blazing sun for years, and it didn't bother me a lick. But then I was away from it for 20 years, and I'd just come back a few years ago, and I will be honest with you, I really hate it. Of all types of weather, definitely humidity is hands down my least favorite. As uh, a lot of you know, I'm an avid year-round wilderness backpacker, and my attitude is that I love all the seasons equally. But although I can handle lugging the 25 pounds of gear on my back for 40 miles, 
and the deer flies snapping all around my face and flying into my open mouth, and the constant risk of sudden thunderstorms at the peak of every mountain, as well as the timber rattlesnakes trying to crawl under my blankets with me at night, or the packs of coyotes getting too close for comfort, I draw the line at humidity. The humidity is what makes it all miserable. The rest, you know, that's it's all piece of cake. But for us, here, now, it's time to talk about things related to emotional health and genuine recovery. The topic for today, as I've been teasing for a couple weeks now, is, is your sensitivity to blame for your borderline personality disorder? We're going to get right into that here in a second, but first, let's talk for a minute or two about your parents. In regards to your parents, is there such a thing as only one of them being responsible for your borderline personality disorder or whatever emotional unhealth you now live with as an adult? Well, let's discuss for a minute what inherent responsibility is. Is inherent responsibility conditional? In other words, is inherent responsibility dependent on what somebody knows or does not know? Is it dependent on whether or not they want the responsibility? Is it even dependent on whether they ever recognize or acknowledge it as their responsibility? The answer to all these questions is no. When we're inherently responsible for a thing, it means that whether we like it or not, that responsibility is simply ours, no matter what. It just is. The position we're in, which may be a simple matter of just being who we are, includes with it certain inherent responsibilities. This is from ProPublica.org. It says, On June 17th, 2017, shortly after 1.30 a.m., the USS Fitzgerald, a 1.8 billion destroyer belonging to the 7th Fleet, collided with a giant cargo ship off the coast of Japan. Seven sailors drowned in their sleeping quarters. It was the deadliest naval disaster in four decades. Barely two months later, it happened again. The USS John S. McCain, its poorly trained crew fumbling with its controls, turned directly in front of a 30,000-ton oil tanker. Ten more sailors died. So let's ask the question, who do you reckon is responsible for these two tragedies? The sailors or the commanding officers? An article from NPR dated April 11, 2019, says this, A Navy investigation of both accidents found that many of the decisions made that led to this incident were the result of poor judgment and decision-making of the commanding officer. The crew was unprepared for the situation in which they found themselves through a lack of preparation, 
ineffective command and control, and deficiencies in training and preparations for navigation. Do the reasons why the commanding officers performed ineptly have any effect whatsoever on whether they had a responsibility or lived up to it? Does any explanation for their ineptitude free them from what their responsibilities to the ship and crew simply were? No, because as commanding officers, it is their business to know. It's their business to find out what they don't know and then make sure they know it. They occupy a certain position, and with it are inherent responsibilities for the ship and the crew, not to mention the American people and the United States government. We've just now seen examples of people who utterly failed in their responsibilities. Let's look at the other side of this. How about somebody who takes their responsibilities seriously, but then suffers for it? Does it matter if anybody ever recognizes that you're living up to your responsibilities? Does living up to your responsibilities have anything whatsoever to do with the expectation of rewards afterwards or of receiving credit for it from others or not? No. It's a simple matter of an emotionally healthy, appropriate view of self-accountability. A person of character lives up to his or her responsibilities on the basis of a strong, healthy, inner sense of personal accountability. Back to ProPublica.com. It says, Three-star Admiral Thomas Koopman, who from 2012 to 2014 was in charge of the fitness of the Navy's ships for combat, recognized serious problems related to the two ships we've been talking about, and he refused to pretend these problems away. He began pushing the issue on his superiors. Copeman said he was pushed out of his job after he spoke out about fundamental problems along the chain of command, but he doesn't regret it. If you're an admiral in the Navy, he said, you may have to make that decision to send people into combat, and you better not have blood on your hands the rest of your life because you didn't do everything you could to make them ready. So this guy, Admiral Thomas Copeman, actually lost his job for steadfastly being accountable to himself, first and foremost, for living up to his responsibilities. Responsibilities that were simply inherently his, given the position that he was in. Now, think of parents as commanding officers responsible for sailors and a ship. We'll say sailors are the kids and the ship is the home. Does the fact that they don't see or take their responsibilities seriously free them from their responsibility? 
does their ignorance about how to parent healthfully free them from their responsibility? Does the fact that they grew up on a boat where their own commanding officers were inept and self-absorbed now free them from their responsibility or excuse their own ineptitude or self-absorption? No, nothing frees us from our inherent responsibilities. Our responsibilities simply are what they are, no matter what, based on who we are and positions we occupy. As a father to a little girl, it don't matter that I wasn't taught good parenting by my own parents. My responsibility is still to figure it out and get it right simply on the basis of being a father to a little girl. If I don't get it right and my form of parenting brings her lasting emotional harm, nothing excuses that. There may be lots of reasons for it, but none of those reasons free me from my responsibility. Therefore, none of those reasons can excuse my failure. So in every situation for every human that has ever been born, there are two parents. There's a father and there's a mother. Both of them individually have the same inherent responsibilities toward you. Father was never around. It doesn't matter. Not being around does not free you from your inherent responsibilities. Your parents gave you up for adoption when you were a month old. It doesn't matter. Not being around does not free you from your inherent responsibilities. And in such a case, if you're adopted by a couple, then you have four people who were inherently responsible to you. If you were adopted between birth and four or five, and you now have borderline personality disorder. This means you were emotionally neglected and abused by four people who failed in their responsibilities. Now, not being able to care for your children and making sure that they are entrusted into the care of somebody who can properly see to their emotional, mental, and physical needs is an example of appropriately living up to your responsibilities toward the emotional, mental, and physical safety of your children, even though it may not involve your physical presence. But just because you may no longer be legally responsible for their needs after the adoption does not mean that your moral responsibility to them has ended. For example... Let's say you've put them into the care of a family who turns out to be abusive and your children are permanently harmed because of the adoptive family you've left them with. You, right along with the people actually abusing your children, are both responsible for that abuse. No judge anywhere has any authority to free you of what are your inherent moral responsibilities. Another point is that I think it's a natural tendency for us to look at 
the parent who was the more mild of the two, who may even have superficially stepped up to our defense from time to time, and we want to minimize their role in it, don't we? I'm tempted myself to do this with my mother from time to time. But since our job here is to recognize just the, the reality of the matter, it's imperative to recognize the plain truth that there is no such thing as two parents and of only one of them being responsible. There's simply no such thing. Both parents are equally responsible individually for the mental, emotional, and physical safety of their children. So one parent doesn't toss you into a fire while the other parent looks on and then share no responsibility for failing to protect you from that harm. These are people who hold two positions. You know, we talked about positions just a second ago. Well, these people hold two positions. The position of parent as well as the position of adult. Both of these positions have great inherent responsibilities. You know, so if you're a parent, you just have inherent responsibilities along with that position. If you're an adult, you just have certain responsibilities that are inherent to being an adult. No, their ignorance makes no difference whatsoever. Ignorance does not free one from inherent responsibility. Nothing frees one from inherent responsibility. So if you were damaged by one parent, you were damaged by both parents. They are both 100% responsible individually for the failure to live up to their inherent responsibility. As for the abuse, the abuse may not have been anything dramatic. It may have only been in the form of subtle, distorted perspectives and attitudes that your parents carry around. They pass this on to you. If so, your parents still live on that same foundation. Their perspectives toward the nature of feelings and life are the same today as they were 30 years ago. They haven't changed. And how do I know that? I know it because the perspectives we use to interpret life since the time we're practically babies don't ever change on their own. These are not like opinions that we carry around and then you read a news article and suddenly your opinion changes. What we're talking about are fundamental perceptions of how we view the world, feelings, the nature of self, and these sorts of things. It forms the very foundation of who we are as people. So when you're out there trying to see clearly the influences that were at play in your childhood, you don't have to remember specific instances of abuse or neglect in your past. Just analyze your parents' attitudes now and imagine the effect that those attitudes would logically have on a young mind. You know, talking about the lack of necessity to bullseye in on certain instances is overrated anyway. That's overrated because the damage to you didn't happen in instances. It happened as a result of consistent, ongoing messages in your parents' attitudes. And yes, this is abuse, no matter how subtle it is, because... What happened is they instilled in you a false perspective of yourself and of your feelings that is painful 
terribly painful. Much more painful and lasting than any bruise. And we're not talking about a total stranger damaging you this way, but rather the very two people in all the world who were inherently responsible for doing the exact opposite for you. They were inherently responsible for protecting you from all emotional, mental, and physical harm. And instead, they became the very ones who created emotional, mental, and physical harm. What a betrayal. Okay, enough about that. Let's now get into the meat and taters of today's show. You've been waiting for it for two weeks. Is your sensitivity to blame for your borderline personality disorder? I've actually had parents who have had the unbelievable gall to write to me and suggest that it was not their parenting, but rather it was their children's sensitivity that explains why their children ended up with borderline personality disorder. You see, it's too much trouble. It requires too much effort for them to do any investigating in an honest way to try to understand how their parenting could have had anything to do with it. Because, of course, from their perspective, they were just quote-unquote normal parents, parenting in normal ways. So it's much, much easier and self-serving for them to try to blame their victims, the children. Now, is it true that borderline personality disorder specifically seems to overwhelmingly develop in naturally sensitive people? Yes. That is true. Is it true that your sensitivity is responsible for your borderline personality disorder? No. Absolutely not. Now, why can we say for a certainty that your sensitivity is not in any way responsible for your borderline personality disorder if, at the same time, it is clear that most, if not all, people with the disorder seem to be sensitive types? We can say it for a certainty by considering the Latin phrase post hoc ergo propter hoc. Don't know if I pronounced that correctly because it's Latin and I don't speak Latin. But it means literally... After this, therefore, because of this. It's a fallacy in logic, which is often referred to as a post hoc fallacy, named after that Latin phrase I just mentioned. The post hoc fallacy is committed when a person rationalizes that simply because one thing happened after another thing, then the first thing must have caused it. Let's give some real-life examples. This comes from the Bleacher Report. I think it's bleacherreport.com. Mark Teixeira of the New York Yankees baseball team once had one of his teammates' socks accidentally end up in his locker. Teixeira unknowingly put on one sock with the number 25 on it, which was his number, and another sock with the number 52 on it, which was his teammates. He didn't notice until the game had already started, and Teixeira had one of the better games of his career. Following Teixeira's two-home run, six-RBI performance, 
he decided that he was going to wear the two different socks in future games. Because he wore two different socks and then played better baseball, it must have been the mismatched socks that caused him to play better. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Here's another one. Detroit Tigers manager Jim Leyland wanted to make sure that his team kept on winning in 2011. When the team began a winning streak, Leyland wore the same pair of boxers to the ballpark the next day. He would not wash them, and he continued to wear them until the Tigers' winning streak ended. What's the post hoc fallacy here? That because he wore a certain pair of underwear, and then afterwards his team did well, then the underwear must have caused it. How about this one? Catholics on their deathbeds are often read last rites by a priest before they die. So does this mean that we can reasonably assume that Catholic priests are going around killing people by reciting some magic words? If we assume this, we are guilty of post hoc fallacy reasoning. Are you enjoying these? They're kind of fun, aren't they? Let's do some more. These next ones come from uh, softschools.com. One, our soccer team was losing until I bought new shoes. We have not lost a game since I got my lucky shoes. Number two, I sneezed at the same time the power went off. My sneeze did something to make the power go off. (laughs) Number three, the football team lost last week, and now this week's pep rally's canceled. I can't believe that the principal would do that. In reality, the pep rally was canceled because of a required standardized test. Number four, Kevin's dog scratched Kevin's leg, and that night, Kevin had a fever. Kevin concluded that his dog must have infected him with something. Number five, Lois and Jan did a snow dance one afternoon, and it snowed that night. They claimed to have brought the snow. Number six, Willie wore blue socks to football practice, and he did not drop the ball a single time. Willie decides to wear blue socks to every football practice. Number seven, Katie's little brother laughed at the same time that Katie spilled her juice. So what does she do? She yells at him for causing her to spill her juice. (laughs) Number eight, the temperatures dropped this morning, and I also have a headache. The cold weather must be causing my headache. Okay, I think we've given enough examples here to understand the nature of a post hoc fallacy. Now let's go back, knowing what we now know, and try it with your sensitivity. Most, if not all, people who develop borderline personality disorder are sensitive people by nature. Therefore, sensitivity must be the cause of borderline personality disorder. Do you now see the post hoc fallacy reasoning? The truth is, most people who are sensitive by nature do not develop borderline personality disorder. Just think about that for a minute and let it simmer. Most people who are sensitive by nature do not develop borderline personality disorder. 
Why not? Because they don't have emotionally unhealthy parents. Is there anything wrong with being sensitive? No. There is absolutely nothing wrong or abnormal about being a sensitive person by nature. No, the cause of borderline personality disorder was not your sensitivity or your personality or the color of your hair. It wasn't your food preferences or your taste in music. It wasn't your feelings. It's not anything that makes you, you. The cause of your borderline personality disorder was unhealthy parenting, plain and simple. And one perfect example of the nature of this unhealthy parenting can be found in the very distorted, unhealthy, despicable type of thinking that blames one's own innocent children's personalities or their own children's sensitivities for not being able to survive the parents' emotional abuse and neglect unaffected. So the cause of borderline personality disorder already is that you were made to feel that you and your feelings are inherently defective. This is already at the root. But then, these very parents who are the cause of this will then reinforce that lie by questioning if your inherent nature isn't the cause. This is, in itself, just more of the same undeniable evidence, just more of the same pattern, proven that their very perceptions and attitudes are severely, severely demented, self-serving, and harmful. If they had treated you healthfully, if they themselves had parented with accurate, healthy life perspectives and attitudes, it wouldn't have mattered how sensitive you were or are. You would have not developed borderline personality disorder. So remind yourself of this every time you start to wrongly suspect that something about your inherent nature might be to blame. Because that is exactly the lie at the root of borderline personality disorder to begin with, that you are inherently defective, that your inherent nature is to blame for your problems, that something is inherently wrong with you. These are simply all just flat-out untruths. They're lies. And it is these very types of lies that you are working to identify, see through, and escape. And how do you escape it? You work to identify all the ways that the lies are impossible, as we've done here today, with regards to your sensitivity being at all responsible for your emotional disorder. Parental emotional abuse and neglect were responsible. Nothing else. Well, folks, that's my program for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. I want to give a shout-out to the folks who I've talked with one-on-one -on -one in recent days and let them know that they continue to be on my mind. A fella from New Jersey. Hey there, buddy. I hope this episode gave you some things to think about. Uh, another fella from New Mexico. want to tell you I'm still formulating an explanation to the question I presented to you about why living in harmony with the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority does not put us at a disadvantage, even though we live in a world full of people who do not acknowledge it. Also, this morning, an excellent 
delightful conversation with a woman from Canada who's dealing with a powerful jumble of emotions that she's trying to make sense out of, and my heart goes out to her. I will have you and your circumstances heavily on my mind, and I just wanted to reassure you that I think you're so firmly on the right path. Keep chugging ahead, and for as long as I'm doing this work, I'll be right there along the journey with you. And then finally this afternoon, I spoke to a wonderful girl from Texas, and she also is dealing with some strong emotions and some confusion. You're going to get through that. I'm going to be right here along the journey with you. Now, let me tell you about my freezer. I currently have in it two cleaned squirrels, one cleaned rabbit, and a good supply of venison. Venison is deer meat, for those who don't know. A few months ago, I had a groundhog in my freezer, which I made a stew out of in a crock pot, and let me tell you, that was good eating. The meat was just falling off the bones, so tender and delicious, with the taters and the carrots and the onions. But what am I going to do with these squirrels and the rabbit? I think I'm just going to hang on to them for a while until I get an opportunity to impress some guests with my culinary skills. A lot of people don't get the opportunities that I get to try these exotic things. So when I have these opportunities, I often like to find adventurous people who will appreciate the experience. I wish I could see your faces right now. <laughs> Tree rat, we call squirrels, <laughs> but they're good. I might even take a squirrel or rabbit on one of my next backpacking trips and surprise some greenhorn with a special meal at camp on the first night. You know, it would have to be on the first night, currently, now that the weather's so hot and humid. You know, that's the thing about backpacking in the dead of winter, the greatest part of it. No bugs, no bears, no nothing. And you can pack any food you want because none of it's going to spoil. All right, well... Can't leave you without a poem. This poem's just a real brief one, but it's a goodie. It goes like this. Oh, my beloved, fill the cup that clears today of past regrets and future fears. Tomorrow? Why, tomorrow I may be myself with yesterday's 7,000 years. William Morris, 1834 to 1896. Folks, I hope you have a wonderful week. Stay out of the tornadoes. Stay out of the rain. We'll get through this. Blue skies up ahead, and uh, we'll all meet there. This is Brian Barnett signing off. As always, thanks for listening.